the child is just like if you take a person who you train to go to war. If we take them to train them to go to war, guess what they're going to do? They're going to fight. Well, these kids are being trained to fight. And therefore, we're looking at them like something wrong with them, but we need to be asking what happened to them. And watch this here. They are products of people who had to fight. So fighting is just being passed down from generation to generation, and nothing else is being shown how to heal up that fight. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. It's not what's wrong, it's what happened. What happened. Charlie Coswell is in the studio with us today. Charlie is the executive director and CEO of Legacy of Legends, CDC. You wear so many hats. Every time I look at the social media post, you're making powerful statements for the gospel. You're traveling. You're sharing. You were, at one time, the senior pastor at Union Grove yes. Baptist Church. Served there three years as the pastor there. Pastor, And I, I say this, brother, I call you pastor. I guess you, the anointing is on you, brother Bear, is, is that I came to a place in that service as, as senior pastor there. One, the pastor who was there before me stepped down uh, all of a sudden, and he resigned. They was looking for a pastor. I knew at the time, I was like, I, I'm not called to be a senior pastor because my foot's is on the ground. I'm used to being in the community doing the work because prior to that 10 years, I was the executive director for the Rangeline Community Development Corporation and a lot of our work in, in the Fraser community with infant mortality, teen parents and what have you. Well, they felt like, hey, Pastor, is nobody else can reach the young people like you. And so I just say one day that I came to church after helping them for four months, telling them that, hey, let's try to find a pastor to work in this place. They asked me that Sunday uh, to leave the service um, and basically walk out the sanctuary. And I'm thinking, well, maybe they're going to take up a collection because I helped them before a month. Come back in, they said, we are now announce our senior pastor, Charlie Cass. Well, they all voted, and I was the pastor. And I tell you, I was still walking down to go to the front to say basically hey let's continue the search and mother williams is a 90 year old mother who's in the church 90 year old she looked at me started crying and said pastor god showed me you was going to be my pastor before i died and so i couldn't say nothing to a 90 year old mother i know she got plenty of wisdom and i was like okay mother i'm gonna serve as i told them i said hey as long as we can continue to do the work in the community hey i'm gonna serve so I served there up into March of last year, and that's when I had a, a experience that really shifted me back out of a position into my purpose, okay? Uh, in that, I was called down to juvenile court because of the work I do in the community. They said, Pastor, these young people are fighting down here. We need you to really come down here and talk with them. And I got down to juvenile court, uh, Brother Bauer, and when I got there, I went and I got, on the, got ready to get on the elevator. Now, I went into darkness. Because this was the same elevator I got off when I was 15 year old when we had a gang fight in our school and I was one of the people they arrested for aggravated assault that day. And when I got up to that floor, I would looked out the door out of the elevator and the first thing I saw was the cell I sat in for three days that I was there. So I really was in darkness. All I can remember was the trauma of hoping somebody was going to get off that elevator to come get me. Thank God that people started to show up three days later and start saying Charlie never hit nobody. He was not involved and they dropped the charges. But, you know, the trauma was not dropped. So I looked over to those young men in March last year, and I said to them, it's not what's wrong with y'all. It's what happened to y'all. And I began to talk to them about what happened to me. I began to tell them my story as a young man growing up in the Dixon Home Projects, how I had a gun put to my head. The guy pulled the trigger. When he turned and ran from me, it went off. But when he pulled the trigger in my head, it didn't. So I knew God had a purpose for me. Proud to that, having my best friend shot right there in front of me. He killed and seeing his body being placed in the body bag. The next year, another friend shot in the head, killed in our apartment. 
those things had an impact on me that made me angry that I wasn't going to make it out of this community. I was going to have to fight for everything that I had to fight for. And so I said to them, and I said to the first young man, I said, young man, tell me what happened to you. And he looked at me. He said, Pastor, you don't remember me? He said, you were my coach last year. So that's when me, Pastor Floyd, in the pursuit of God and uh, Lifeline to Success and uh, another pastor in Fraser, Pastor Barry Martin, started the Fraser Athletic League and, and working with the Memphis Police Department. We had those young men on our team. But because I was pastor, I made my brother and another young man the coach, and I wasn't spending the time with them like I'm doing this summer where I'm, I'm hands-on with them. And I said, young man, tell me what happened to you. And he looked at me. He said, Pastor, when I was eight years old in Fraser, they broke in my house and they killed my daddy. He said, when I was 12 year old, we was walking down Fraser Boulevard and they shot my best friend and he died in Fraser. He said, man, Pastor, I want to get those boys. And I said to him, I said, tell me, who is your role model? And he pointed across at a chair where another young man sit. They just told me was the guy who pulled the gun on the old woman that led to him being locked up for aggravated uh, burglary, ag- ag- aggravated robbery, facing 10 years in jail. All I did at that time saw myself. So I went back to my church that night. I talked to my assistant pastor. I said, look here, I'm giving my letter of resignation. I'm getting back out in the community, doing what I'm called to do. I can't get it done in this capacity because I don't believe I'm supposed to be here. That young man showed me that he looked to somebody from the streets because I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And from that, I began to really dive deep into the work of reverse childhood experience and dealing with the research and evidence behind ACEs uh, and the philosophy that's been changed, uh, which the state of Tennessee then asked me to be a a part of the private sector committee with the governor, the last governor, Bill Hasman, to help put together the strategic plan on dealing with the evidence and research behind adverse childhood experience. You know what that is, Brother Bat? Yeah, because I'm just thinking any type of trauma that we go through as a human being has got to be dealt with. And yeah. when it's not dealt with, there's yeah. repercussions. There's things that happen. Yeah. So as you're talking about these traumas, seeing your friend shot, a gun put to your head, all these things happening that are very traumatic, emotional, very tense situations, uh, they've got to be dealt with properly. Yeah. And when they're not, they result in behavior change. Cause people to do acts of violence? Hurt people, hurt people. Yes. Traumatize people, traumatize people. So here I am, bleeding, bleeding, bleeding. People just saying, oh, because I had a smile on my face, they didn't see the bleeding still happen. Yes. And they felt like, oh, he's okay. But, Baron, I say this, even even though I was that community leader, I'm out there and I'm helping people all around our community, they didn't see when I went home and my wife said something that re-triggered what happened to me as a child and I bust a hole in the wall or I break a glass. Now, thank God I never put my hand on her you see my wife she ain't gonna take it she'll body slam me (laughs) love my wife but it is because i got this revelation and i got this evidence and research uh mark luttra at the time in 2013 sent me to st paul minnesota to be trained in men healing men summit it was historical trauma and learning he said charlie you're doing the work you're in the community you're working with these young people we need to address why they're acting and why kids are acting in the way that they are and that training shifted something for me I spent three days with psychiatrists from all over the country, and these psychiatrists really sat down and heard my story and broke it down. It was like I had nuggets from people like Apostle Ricky Floyd and others that was mentored, uh, Director Tony Armstrong, who mentored me as a child, but I didn't have it put in a pot, melted together to make a whole, and yeah. that's what happened. I came back to Memphis. My wife can tell you we became best friends. It's like our whole marriage, everything shifts. I cried for about a week. And then God was showing me these were tears of sorrow. These were tears of joy. It was weeping because I knew I was being, I was delivered from what I thought what was wrong with me, that it was what 
happened to me. You know, it's interesting as you say this. I was just listening to Focus on the Family this morning. There was a lady, Deborah Smith Pegues. She's an African-American lady born in the South during the time of segregation. She also worked as a Southern maid, but later became a Fortune 500 VP, best-selling and award-winning author. She said, it doesn't start with anger. Anger is the result of another feeling that happened first. Wow. I yeah. thought that was so good. You know, yeah. we always look at anger first and try to address anger. Yeah. But anger is really the symptom right. of something deeper, usually. Yeah. Somebody feels they've been hurt. Mm-hmm. They've been taken advantage of, yeah. you know, scared or frightened, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And so they respond by the emotion of anger. Right. You do what's normal to you. Right. And, and so even like when you look at it, for those who uh, don't know adverse childhood experience, again, the initial research was done back in 1996 by the Center for Disease Controls and Castle for Everett out of California, took 17,500 individuals. Watch this here. 80% was middle class white individual, college educated. So it was not like this just a black and a white issue. This is all of our issues. When you look at those things that happen as a child that has a traumatic emotional abuse physical abuse mental abuse that then form a norm in the brain of a child and as a child they being formed their norm through that trauma that then they do what they know to do people only know to do what they know right the bible tells us people perish because of lack of knowledge if all the knowledge is is abuse is cussing is raging and violence it's like i say this brother Barry, what would you do if you see a bear in the woods, I'm gonna run. They run. <laughs> so three things happen when a person is traumatized: they freeze, they fight, or they flight. But you know, when I asked that question at juvenile court to the thirty some men I took through this training, you know what they said they're gonna do? They're gonna fight. They're gonna fight the bear. Why? Because they every day they go home, they are fighting the bear. Every day they got to, so they tired and they ready to fight because they tired of the bear beating them. They tired of the bear molesting them. They tired of the bear cussing them out. They tired of the bear telling them they'll never do nothing, be nothing. And this is what we're having. The child is just like if you take a person who you train to go to war. If we take them to train them to go to war, guess what they're going to do? They're going to fight. Well, these kids are being trained to fight, and therefore we're looking at them like something wrong with them, but we need to be asking what happened to them. And watch this here. They are products of people who had to fight. So fighting is just being passed down from generation to generation, and nothing else is being shown how to heal up that fight. Charlie, take us to Wednesday, June 12th. That was the night Brandon Walker was shot in the Fraser community, where you've lived probably for close to 30 years or more. Yeah. Yeah. And so that night, you know, I was called by the Memphis Police Department, Clergy Academy, being uh, trained with them that, hey, Charlie, we know you know this community well. Can you help us to keep the rest, the peace there? So I show up at the scene. At what point were you called? Before the crowd started coming together? When I got there, the crowd was already. So this was already. So, again, the, the, the scenario is this was not a Memphis Police Department shooting. This was a U.S. Marshal shooting. So the, sh- the shots already, the, the shooting happened to Brandon. And, again, we want to pray for him and his family and yes. pray for his family. But we pray also for the man in Mississippi who Brandon allegedly supposedly had shot and took his vehicle, right? right. We want to keep that all in perspective, yes, right, asking right. that we pray for each and everybody involved in this. Yet, when I got the call, so U.S. March had already. So at this time, people don't know. It was three incidents happening at that same time. So uh, it was another shooting just a street over where a person accidentally shot their seven hands. So the police was racing to that, and two police cars wrecked trying to get to that scene. 
And then you had the U.S. Marshal scene up the street. Then you had a baby uh, incident with a baby right down the street from there. So these all these calls going out at the same time. In close proximity. Close proximity, like a block from each right. other. So when I got the call, uh, the colonel and all his officers were on the scene at this time. And somebody from the downtown office called me and said, Charlie, colonel is already out there. Uh, it's already a crowd coming. They're just trying to keep the crowd back so that TBI, because it is an officer-involved shooting, TBI got to get to investigate but the crowd is saying let us get to the body because y'all did him wrong because the mother this is what people don't know and I, I had the opportunity to talk the next day to the mother because Brandon Weber was on my basketball team with that same young man that was locked up in juvenile court just three years ago so the family knew when I got out the car who I was and they were like pastor if you can just get us up to see the body that's all we want to do so I called one of the colonels who was on the scene and she was like I'll be down there in a the minute Charlie to, to talk with you so they was pretty much getting calm but sadly we had people coming in from the outside other people every time a protest happened they run to those scenes okay when you say the outside who are these people these are people that don't live in the community these are people that every time you look at a protest whether it's what happened at the bridge whether it happened uh, in South Memphis these are the agitators that basically love to get in the police face and tell them they wrong and y'all shouldn't have shot this man and basically don't even know what happened right and don't even care at this point and I think that goes back to though in in understanding their trauma is is because we got to understand there's nothing wrong with them for acting that way it's what happened to them it's the fact that when they look at TV and they see so many cases out there cases where you have officers shooting a African American man and the person basically get the go home he get to go and, and nothing happens right. so there are mine already running you see when i say this brother byron how it, it when seeing that escalated that night i tell you it's still like a dream to me because i was there when the first chair went into the police car when the rock star i was in between the police and the protesters basically me commissioner love and some other pastors trying to pass the uh, uh brown deandre brown others who started to come trying to get the crowd to go back just to stay calm so that this can be investigated rocks then began to fly and it, it like just went into a blank for me and i still i had to leave and go get some counseling myself did you get hit by- i got hit in the head again i get hit with the rock i got poked in the back with sticks from because the officers was trying to protect themselves so some of them did get the you know because we were so close to them to push us out the way hit in the back so that was the traumatic uh, largely for me but what i seen and i wasn't even here in 1968 when dr king got killed but what I seen was the images that I did see eyes on the prize in, in situations because, again, I served in the as senior pastor of Union Grove Baptist. I have the, the reports and evidence. Pastor James E. Smith, who was the pastor before me, he was the president of ASME in 1969 to 1993. He marched with Dr. King in 1968. I have the story. He was one who said when Dr. King got in the car to drive back to Lorraine that I'm going to walk with the people. And then when all this jumped off. Uh, dogs sick on people. So you have that generation of parents, right, who are now raising this generation of kids who basically say you can't trust them. This is what they did to us, right? And no one in between really built that relationship back between police and and, and the community, uh, such as what we have been doing in Frazier. Well, she's been trying to do the range line originally. Right. And we we have made great strides. Again, that athletic lead. I mean, you can, you got to go back and see where we had gang members from different gangs now coming together doing community service projects with the police that led to even in 1990, I mean, 2017, back here just a couple of years ago when we had the storm, you remember in Frazier, all the lights in the city went out 
Frazier, we had no lights. We had basically all we had at our church, no lights, a barbecue grill. And we sat there on our lot. It was the police officer who went to get the food from the stores, brought them, and we started cooking there for seven days. We fed 6,000 individuals. It was the police that was there with me from 6 in the morning to 3 in the morning, taking food to old ladies sitting on their porch in the dark and to young people on the, in that neighborhood. That's the reason why the police was kind of sad. They were like, man, we built so much to build a relationship here, and they seemed like it went in one day. And that's what you attribute to these outsiders that came in. That's yeah, again. Yeah. They didn't know and, and they didn't care, right? Yeah. What we built there. And so but I thank God that we did build that foundation. That's why it was able to bring so much calm the next day where the mama stood there when the big crowd came for the vigil and say, Hey, this one Memphis police department, we're not gonna throw no bricks at them, we're not gonna stone them. We're gonna work with them to find out what happened to my child, right? And that brought calm to the community in a large scale. So I th- hats off to the mother who is yet the you know Loss of a son, but yet still can call for peace in their community. They help a lot with that. Charlie, what do you see, having lived and spent so much time in Frazier, what are some of the distinct differences of the Frazier community compared to other areas of our city? Well, distinct difference. I, I think in large, you had so many years of the poverty that was there. So when you had the Dixon Home and Lauderdale Court and Uptown, these different projects torn down and redeveloped and people giving vouchers, a lot of them moved to the community, especially like in Frazier. Like I, my family did. We moved out of Dixon, moved to the Frazier community as a young boy. And and so, but what you didn't have was just what we started back with Rangeline. We had a high infant mortality rate in Frazier. We had over 16.9 babies dying per 1,000 every year. We had some of the highest infant mortality in third world countries at that time. In 2010, when we started working with Mural at the time, A.C. Warden, he was the county mural, and we implemented the baby store in our church. Basically, where we had baby diapers, car seats, but you, the parents had to go to nurturing parenting class. They had to go to the OBG clinic. Guess what? But we didn't have an OBGYN in the community. 50,000 plus residents. When we were staying at Dixon Home, the health department and everything were right across the street. But when you got out here in Frazier, you didn't have that. And so we were able to work partner with Memphis Morning Center at the time. They came in, actually set up in our church. We had midwives there seeing these girls every day, making sure they're getting their pills, they nurturing parents. We was able to get that down to under 10 per 1,000 babies dying a year, uh, making a, a, a great impact with their working with the Shepherd County Health Department. We still got a way to go. But it took that type of community coming together. So you got that. You got the fact that we became a experiment for education. ASD came in with all, took over many of our elementary schools, right? Supposed to have this different model that was supposed to make our schools better. But guess what? We, we As we were saying then, that this is not just a give us your best teachers and our kids are going to turn out good. No, these are social, emotional ills that every day when they leave those teachers, Brother Barry, I look at it this way. Teachers are like architects and construction workers, right? Yes. They can build, you can build the best house, but if you send it back home to a community with no home ownership training, no, and a house with no home, they rip out everything you just put in that child. And that's what we was trying to say is we got parents that never were educated. You know, I thank God for his grace on my life. I dropped out of school. I went back and got my GED. So education, one of my things, I'm glad I married a wonderful woman with her MBA who really pushed that on our children. I got three of my older daughters in college right now. One just got their associate degree. So pushing education as in, that is important. But many parents don't have that support system although or don't feel because of their norm. I made it. They think they made it. But they didn't. They still living in that poverty, but that poverty they live in make them feel like they better than what their parents used to be. And so it's a lot of deep rooted issues that we have to begin to address. And I think that 
by being so many people in that community and so many people have been suffering for so long, the hopelessness of being able to overcome it has been now childish. Do you feel like you're getting the support of the Church of Memphis as a whole, other churches outside the Fraser community? Not really. I take my hat off to those pastors who are in our community, like a Pastor Ricky Floyd, the Pursuit of God Church, who who have strategically, yes, built a relationship like now with Agape that bringing in some services that are, are there. Uh, Pastor Myron Thomas, which he's been doing great work for many years with leadership empowerment, working with the kids. So, yeah, he we have some churches or some community some partnerships that's there. Pastor DeAndre Brown working with the ex-felons in that community. Again, these pastors started, though, from the root of doing it themselves, and then it just basically grow to where people, some people have, saw what we're doing, but for many years never came to support the work that we were doing. Figuring, what's wrong with those people? They can't get it done themselves. But it's not what's wrong with them. Yes. It's what happened to them. It's what happened to them. I appreciate that. My goodness, Charlie, just the work that you and, as you mentioned, Myron, DeAndre, and Pastor Ricky Floyd, it's just God's work that he's doing through you guys. Mm -hmm in our city that doesn't get noticed a whole lot. And mm-hmm. I, that's one of the reasons I wanted you to come by and, and just let folks know really what's happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got uh, right now this camp going on through <laughs> the 3V leader. We don't have a lot of time, but I do want to talk about that. you got this camp going on through uh, part of July now. You're partnering with the Lionel Foundation, the summer camp. Tell me about yeah, yeah. that. So, yeah, so that partnership, and it would really this year with the ACE League out in the Raleigh Fraser community, uh, Visible Vocal and Valuable is from a book I wrote, How to Become More Visible, Vocal, and Valuable to Your Community. Three things that we talk about in there is how to learn, how to communicate, how to collaborate, and how to connect with the seven Ps, the pastors, the police, the politics, the parents, the principals, the proprietors, and partners. <laughs> so I'm teaching those teenagers to have that social network, that that capacity building of uh, so that they can get things done in their community. Uh, with a focus of these young kids, a lot of them who are raising their brothers and sisters because they're coming out of a single-family household where dad may be in prison or mentally or whatever the case may be, and mama is working two jobs sometimes and in the warehouse 10 hours a day, six hours on the bus trying to get to Chevy Drive, back to Frazier, so they're home along a lot of times. So teaching them what to do and how they can help their friends and neighbors that's in their community. So it's powerful, man, that last year we had two suicides prevented because these kids went through that training, was thinking about committing suicide, but now we're trained and knew what to do. We made the right phone calls, got them the support and help that they need. This is something that we want our young people to know because we know what's going on in our communities. And so that's what 3V Leader is doing. Let's go back to uniting as the body of Christ in Memphis as a whole, not just Frazier. Yeah. how can we come together? What can we do? What needs to happen? Well, I think something that is happening in part because of somebody who helped really started to bridge the gap to the work that was being done in Fraser. He came in from a law enforcement perspective, but yet with a pastor hard, Pastor James Kirkwood, who is now... I love the yeah, colonel. <laughs> yes, sir. He's over the Memphis Christian Pastor Network. Yes. And so he is working with some collaborations of other churches in the suburbs and in the city, how we work together on racial here, how we work together on economic development opportunities that give jobs to these individuals. I think that one of the things that we have to do, Brother Byron, is uh, to bring it together is not judge, right? Um, let, let me say this, is that uh, many, and I say this when I spoke at Christ United Methodist Church to a group of guys there at they fought at the men breakfast there, is that if you are a white individual and you grew up in a household where your mom and daddy said, love Jesus, love God, but beating on the Bible, but yet looked at the TV and said, hate that Negro, hang that Negro, you've been traumatized because if you have 
love and hate can't dwell. The Bible tells us can't dwell in the same place. So as a child, you being raised up in a man that was at the house church, a white gentleman, he came to me. He said, Pastor, I need to sit down and talk to you. He just began to cry. He said, I'm so glad you took us through this training. He said, in 1956, I was living in Frazier as a young man. He said, my granddaddy killed my daddy, my, my best friend daddy in front of me. He said, so my daddy adopted my friend. And so the only way my friend was able to come to the house, they had to put a white sheet over his head. He said, I still remember today he was crying. My, my friend had to look out the window to see if anybody saw him come in our house uh, every day that he came over there. And so many people are brought up and it's not what's wrong. It's not because they're racist. I tell my friends, it's because of what happened to them. And so their family was what happened to their parents to make them think that another race is less of us. So he grew up figuring like we can just get away with with something like this, taking a black man life and nothing happened, right? And I still, man, this guy is supposed to be my friend. And so these are the things we have to be willing to talk about, to heal from, and the same thing in the black community is what happened to us to make us not love our white brothers and sisters and others because of the, the historical and the trauma that then passed down from generation to generation. We have to be open, we got to be willing to sit down at the table and address these issues. And, and we'll get to announce charlie wow my dear brother thank you so much yeah. for stopping by thank you for what you're doing for christ's kingdom yeah. you got to come back more yes, often sir. you know yes, sir. i love the energy you bring yes. just you sharing your heart yeah and this message needs to be shared thank you so much if folks want more information about any of your work i know you've got facebook pages yeah. you have a website too yeah you got a website but you can go to 3vleader at gmail.com uh they, they can email me our legacy of legends website is being re-uploaded but it's legacy of com. but you again you want some information go to that but also rotary FYI.com, RotaryFYI.com. That is the work we're doing. Generally, just been awarded a grant with the state of Tennessee to take what we're doing in Memphis across the state. So that's the reason why I'm just was in Nashville and going to be in Knoxville next week. We're training other clubs to do what we're doing to come together, healing racial, building communities, and understanding that is not what's wrong. Yet what happens? So if we support you as a community, we're actually making a difference in our whole state of Tennessee. And really around this whole region, we got 31 clubs in northern Mississippi, and they've taken this bull by the horn. I've been working with Holly Springs, Mississippi, the mayor, the chief of police, everybody, the school superintendent. they running with it in Holly Springs, Mississippi. What do you eat? What's your diet? Uh, (laughs) uh, Smoothie King. (laughs) Smoothie, is that the answer? That's pretty much. Smoothie King. It's got the proteins and everything, the energy, the hook in there, so it keeps me going. Do you do crossfit you exercise too i, I do so a lot of walking yeah. and 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 then i tell you though but i i learned that air fry man i put everything in that air fry <laughs> so it, it, it's good it's a good way to go <laughs> yes sir charlie god bless you thanks again for stopping by thank you sir friends that's all the time we have on this edition of mid-south viewpoint thanks for listening and hope you have a great day we'll talk to you next time bye-bye